So this evening, that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to speak to you about the satisfying power of Jesus. The satisfying power of Jesus. My goal this evening is to encourage you uh, to again, as I did this morning, to look to Jesus for your every needs. That's what I want to do uh, this, this, this evening again, to, to encourage you to look to Him to satisfy your every need. You remember that for those who were here this morning, we started looking at Mark chapter 6, uh, verse 30 to verse 44. We noted that the context of this passage is Jesus' Jesus's caring heart for people. He is the God who cares. Two weeks ago, we saw Jesus send out his disciples to share his message around Galilee. And we saw this morning that they had returned. And we saw this morning Jesus interacting with them and the crowd that has now sort of gathered around him uh, in Bethsaida. So we looked at verse 30 to verse 34 this morning. And we said the key truth we learned this morning is that Jesus is God as our carer. I couldn't, as I thought about many images of the Lord, the image that struck me is that Jesus is a God that cares for us. And we, we see here, is God caring for us? And we see, we saw in the morning that He cares to listen to us, He cares to feel our situation, and He cares to give Himself to us. That's what we learned this morning. We were encouraged to surrender our hearts to Jesus. Uh, to abandon leaning on anything else other than Christ. Let Jesus take care of you. And uh, that was uh, the message this morning. For this evening, we're looking at verse 35 to verse 40. Uh, we want to learn more about how Jesus cares for us. And his power to satisfy our deepest desires. And the first one I want us to learn this evening from, which is on your outline, is that we all want to be satisfied. We all want to be provided for, to be cared for. So, let's look at verse 35 there. Jesus, as I say, has been teaching somewhere around the town of Bethsaida. And we can imagine now we are joining Mark as sort of a film director, as it were. Uh, imagine Mark is videoing this. He has landed us on the scene there where Jesus is. Uh, and we have a great area of view, right, where Jesus is. Uh, where is it? Well, it's like a barren land. It's a desolate place. We can see that there are some patches of green grass, if we are imagining this. But everywhere we look, where is he? Yeah, tons and tons of people. Thousands. We, we know it's 5,000 who eat later on, but actually it's, it's more than that. Because obviously there are women there and uh, there are... Their children, of course. So it's, it's probably some estimate, put it at 15,000 to 20,000. There are many people, and the, the reason I saw many of them actually is that this is the time, of course, of the Passover, if you read John 6. So there, there, there's a lot of excitement in the hair, especially as Jesus uh, uh, is around now. And so if we look at this scene there, it's chock a block, all right? If you arrive in there, you can't move, right? And there are just so many of them. They've poured in from towns around to see Jesus and to be healed by him. And as we are looking at this video, I guess, we can see that we've been here the whole day, right? These people have been here the whole day. And it seems that no one seems to be noticing that it is actually getting dark a bit, right? So everybody's still there just taking it all in, enjoying being with Jesus. But it's getting dark. 
and no one has noticed, except the disciples. And we can imagine the camera zooming in on Peter, right? We can see that Peter looks like he's a bit ready to, to doze off, right? He's tired. Uh, we look at John. John looks agitated, you know, sons of thunder, as it were. Uh, he just wants to get out of here. And then perhaps if we look closer, we imagine in this, we can see Judas and Simon whispering to one another, you know. Another disciples joining in. And together they form a little band and they agree to tell Jesus, look, it's time to go now. Church is finished. Let's go home. And this is how Mark records it for us in verse 35 to verse 36. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, a remote place. And the hour is now late. It's getting dark. Send them away to go into surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now all of us have been tired and hungry before while sitting in a meeting, right? <laughs> so this happened to me at work. And you, you want the meeting to end, but you don't want to be the first person to say it, that I want to go and eat, right? There are better reasons to abandon a good meeting, right? Uh, you don't want to be the first person. So you may be tired, you, you just want to look like, as we say in church actually as well, you know, you may be hungry and the preacher, well, the preacher <laughs> is going on for a while and you just, you don't want to be the first one to suggest, you know, to, to motion to the preacher that it's time to go. Uh, you just want to, you just wait. It looks less, it looks like you are less spiritual if that was to happen. And I think this is what's happening to the disciples here. Their stomachs are rumbling and they want to eat. They have no anything to eat. Remember, they were getting away actually to do a bit of eating and they were interrupted and they have just returned from a journey. So they are tired, but instead of them saying so, they decide, I think, to use the crowd to get Jesus to stop teaching. Or perhaps, I may be harsh on them, perhaps they really are concerned. And I think perhaps it's a mixture of both, you know. Uh, to be fair to them, the people are hungry. People eating spiritual bread still need physical bread, don't they? And the people are hungry to feed and they want to feed now, right? And this reminds us here when the disciples say here that in verse 30, in verse 35, and when he grew, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves to eat. It reminds us of a, of a universal truth we learn in scripture, which is everyone gets hungry, and we know it ourselves. We don't need to read the Bible to know everyone gets hungry. Everyone wants to be satisfied. We had a good fellowship plant. We all ate and we were happy. Eating is everything. Have you thought about that? I had to think about it this week, that eating is actually, there's nothing sinful about it. Eating is healthy. It was there before man fell. That's quite a thought. Even before we rebelled against God, we ate food. We needed to be nourished and satisfied. We read this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. Let's just let me refresh it for you. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And of course, later on, he gives a limit on what the other fruit they are not supposed to eat. The point here is that in the Garden of Eden, God satisfied us by giving us himself, of course, and also the food we needed to eat. 
So eating is normal. You've been liberated about that. It's a great thing to eat. And actually, I would say having the appetite and even being hungry to a degree, there's nothing sinful about that. These things, I think, took place before the fall. The, the hunger, right? Because how else do you eat unless you feel hungry or you have, well, unless you have an appetite? So there's nothing sinful about eating. But the problem is that God, having given us the food to eat, we decided to satisfy ourselves by eating that which we are not supposed to eat. The, of course, the tree of good, uh, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that's how sin enters the world. Sin actually enters the world through the mouth. Yeah, it enters the world through us eating. And as sin enters the world, it corrupts everything. The anger we had before we fell is now reaches all dimensions of proportion. We now eat for wrong reasons. And most importantly, it becomes difficult for us to eat. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 to 19 says this. Let me remind you the curse that God placed on Adam. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So eating Genesis now becomes difficult. We now eat, but we are never satisfied. The entrance of sin actually not only means that sin is, 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 is not only means that eating is difficult, it actually means that we no longer live in a world of satisfaction. We now live in a world of scarcity where we can never eat enough. We can never be satisfied enough. Life has actually become a search for satisfaction. We all now have needs and are actively looking for ways to meet those needs. All of us do. That is why you work, isn't it? You work to provide for your family and yourself. Right? That's why we are in relationships. We are in relationships to care for others and they to care for us. There is no one here who would be in a relationship where they just, they were the only one caring. Trust me. Only Jesus does that. None of us are in such relationships. Even our very relationships are transactional by nature. We are creatures in need of satisfaction. And that goes back to the fall. Yes, before God created us, God gave us that need in all of us to be satisfied, but now it's become difficult to meet our needs. And we see this difficult, especially in times of great difficulty in our lives, in our times when trouble knocks on the door, a bad school reserve, addictions we can't shake off, Long-term sickness, job loss, breakdown in marital trust, old age, death in the family. These are needs that we are longing to meet. And we find ourselves realizing that we can't meet these needs. And I wonder as you sit here this, uh, this evening, what is your deepest need? What is the area that you are seeking to be satisfied? A need in your life that you long to be met. And you know if this need can't be met, you are just not going to be, you're not quite 100% there. Something is missing. And most of what I want to ask you this evening is, why are you currently looking for 
satisfaction for that need. Because you see, if you're a follower of Jesus, whatever that need is, you know, all of us here have a different need came to mind. The answer, as we saw this morning, is not to look to ourselves, but to look to Jesus. But the truth of the matter is that even for all of us who profess faith in Jesus, we are like the disciples. Did you notice in verse 36? Look at that again. In verse 36 there. What the disciples say? Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. It sounds ash, but actually there's nothing ash about it. Right? What the disciples are saying is real life. We go 5,000, we go 15,000, who's going to feed these guys? The logical answer is, send them out so that they can take care of themselves. This is the world we live in. Life is like that. The disciples are simply saying, look, in this life, you look after number one. In this life, you can't expect another person to care for you. So send them out to do how we all live. Every, each one looks out for themselves. They, but they are disciples. They are forgotten. They are disciples. And many of us forget that we are followers of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we are a family. What that means, first of all, is that God is our Father and is responsible to provide for us. They should have realized that this issue belongs to Jesus' category. He's our dad. There's a problem in the family. Let's go to Jesus. Before they even suggest their own ideas. And frankly, they should have realized that they are in the family. The problem they're facing the crowd is their problem as well. So they may not know how to do it, but they need to ask the dad and recognize that they may have a role to play. The point I'm trying to make here is simply this. The world's response in times of trouble, which has also crept in in churches, is that people abandon us in tough times. When we are longing to be satisfied, the people we've come to trust, even other believers, they're no longer there. They're either too busy with other things, or well, they just turn a blind eye. But the good news is that our God is different. I love Jesus because Jesus, whenever he sees a problem, he gets closer to the person with the problem. He gets even closer the harder the problem is. He never sees the problem and then we draw. No, Jesus runs to the problem. I remember saying that Jesus is always looking for trouble. <laughs> because actually that's what he does. He's always looking for people who are hurting. And here, rather than agree that there are too many, he doesn't do that. He does something about it. He decides to satisfy the crowd, to give them the food that they need. And this is our second point we see here. Jesus has power to satisfy us. He doesn't just care about us. He has the power to show that he So the first point is that we all want to be satisfied. And the good news of Jesus is that Jesus has the power to meet our needs. That's the second observation we see here. So let's go back to the disciples. The disciples want Jesus to send everyone home. Jesus says, no, he has a different idea. Look at verse 37. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. I think we just pause there and we imagine ourselves in the disciples' shoes. They must be like, what? 
is going on here? They are so dumbfounded by what Jesus has said. They can't believe what they are hearing. And I think the next statement they make is actually a sarcastic comment. I think it is. I read it like that. You may have your own view on it. But listen to what he says in verse 37. What how they said to him. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? <laughs> it's not like they have the money. They don't have the money. And what they're saying is, are you serious? Even if we can find a place selling fish and chips here, where, who's going to make this food this much to feed everyone? Next, where is the money for the chippy? Who's going to be, where are we going to find this money? We don't have, we're just, we've left our nest behind, remember? We are being funded by ladies, right? There is no money, by the way, the denarii figure given here, 200 denarii, I hope it's in the version there. It's a day's wage. It's an annual wage, equivalent to an annual wage. It's essentially 200 days or so worth of work. I, I try to think about what this might mean today. I would think it's about 15 to 20K, depending on the type of what would be equivalent to a, to a, to a laborer. Today, it's about 20k, and they're just basically saying there's no 20,000 here. Jesus' ministry runs on zero. And where are we going to get this money, right? That's what they're thinking, you see. But the problem with the disciples is that they are reasoning purely in human terms. When they think about eating, for them it means money. If there's no money, we can't feed anyone. They cannot see any other way. And most importantly, they cannot see God standing in front of them. And they can't see him. They can't see that Jesus, the Jesus they are looking at, is God. And because they can't see God, really, they can't go to him and pray to him. That's what they should be doing. They should be asking Jesus to provide the food. But they can't, they still don't get it. And this point is so important as we go through Mark. They still don't recognize really who Jesus is. Is Most important, they don't realize the depth of compassion and care that Jesus has and the fact that he cares for the crowd. They don't get it. And so Jesus wants them to get this. So he turns back to the 12 again, this time with the question. Let's read verse 38 on them. Verse 38 says, And he said to them, How many loves you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Verse 39. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. Now, we have been giving the disciples a bit of a beating, haven't we, so far about how they are behaving. But let's give them credit here, right? As we go through, we should note this point. This is a big moment. The disciples are behaving well now. Just now, they are behaving well. And why do I say that? Well, they could easily say to Jesus, He's just playing games with us. He's asking us to organize people to sit down. Remember, there's no food. 
They could just say, why is he telling us to organize people when there's no food? And they could just wander off. Uh, we, you know, we know there's no food, they could say that. They have never seen Jesus even back without a hooven. They've never done that. Probably they've never even seen him back with a hooven. They have never seen anyone cook without a stove. So they're stepping out in faith here. And I thought about this. I imagine myself being one of them and how I would have responded. I think I would have been thinking, we're just wasting time organizing people here. Where is all of this leading? Because we can't see the provision and therefore our faith usually is dictated by the background or what we've experienced in the past. What the disciples are doing here is like, imagine entering Venezuela at the moment, right? Venezuela has run out of food. Now imagine entering Venezuela um, without any trucks carrying food. You just land into the country. Maduro is closed off everything. You manage to get in and uh, you have no trucks and all of a sudden you go on television and announce, everyone, go home, sit down, prepare a dinner table. Prepare food at the dinner table. There's nothing there. Food will come. No one would do that. No one would do that. It takes a lot of faith to do that. And the disciples now have faith. This is a difficult job. I would imagine as they are going around telling people sit down, everybody's looking at them kind of funny, right? <laughs> but they are doing it. They've arranged people. They've obeyed Jesus. And Jesus, of course, goes on to deliver. They have brought five loaves and two fish, and they are trusting him to make it big. And Jesus keeps his word. Our Lord Jesus Christ never disappoints, and he doesn't hear. Look at verse 41 to verse 42 there again. And taking the five loaves, we read, and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Doesn't he? He says, and verse 42, And they all ate and were satisfied. Just like that. With a blessing of food, and this has never happened to me, with a blessing of food and a touch of the food, he looks up to heaven, the bread, the fish, multiplying all over the place. From his hands, everybody, thousands are just being fed like that. All those hungry stomachs are feeling full and satisfied. That's what verse 42 says. And they all ate and were satisfied. This is the extraordinary satisfying power of our Lord Jesus. It is a power that is limitless. It is a caring power that seeks to satisfy all our needs, including our basic needs in life, like food. Jesus has the power to satisfy every need. Now, this provision of Jesus does not mean that we never struggle. When we have Jesus as our provider, it doesn't mean that we never struggle putting food on our plate. Or we are always healthy. Or we will always have a job because Jesus has power to satisfy me. Therefore, if I have Jesus, I'll always have a job. No. Sometimes Jesus will we withdraw certain provisions that we need or for the people we love because he has something better in mind for us. It's very important we understand that. He will do that sometimes. 
But one thing we, can, we, we must never assume is that Jesus cannot satisfy our needs or is not interested in doing things for us. We have before us a powerful and caring Lord who is not only caring, but he has the power to bring it about and wants to bring it about. So I want to encourage you this evening just to go to Jesus with whatever physical need that you have or the needs of your loved ones. Go to Jesus. In fact, even if the people you, you want that physical need for are not believers, go to Jesus. Because what I find encouraging here is that if you know anything about the crowd, Jesus is feeding unbelievers right now. These guys are not disciples, the 5,000. They will be equivalent to the people who never set foot in church as it were. But the disciples, but Jesus is compassionate, is caring. I think there's a wider point we'll pick up in the feeding of the 4,000. But there's something about the Lord's compassion for human beings in general we see here. But for us, friends, it should tell us, if this is what Jesus does for non-believers, how much more is Jesus' care for us who have come to true faith in him? We should be more confident to ask him to provide for our physical needs. But sadly, many of us, you see, treat our daily needs, both physical, relational, social needs, as less important than other needs, than our spiritual needs. Now, to some degree, that may be true, of course. Ultimately, it's the spiritual that matters. But actually, biblically, Jesus cares for the whole person. But there's, there's, the problem we have is this, you see. The prosperity teachers have a huge error, don't they? They tell you God is like a vending machine, right? And um, just go to Jesus. He wants to give you a Lamborghini and all that. And uh, go to him, just ask for a Lamborghini, and he'll give it to you. Because Jesus, of course, cares about your physical needs. So ask him for a Lamborghini. They treat Jesus as a vending machine. By the way, a Lamborghini is not a need, right? But for what it's worth, they teach that God cares mainly about your physical needs. That's an error in understanding the scriptures. In our tradition, we have the opposite error. The other error, God only cares about your spiritual needs. So when you come to church, we'll pray for a converted soul, but no, we won't pray, we won't pray for Julie over there, you know, for, for God to give her a provision that she really needs, maybe tutoring her son or something. That, that, that's that's that, that's how we are. We, 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 are, we only think that Jesus is only the God of the spiritual. And that is reflected in things we pray for in the, in the life of the church, right? They may only be spiritual things, right? This is not specific to us because I think by God's grace we, have a, we are growing to know one another and we pray for things that are on our hearts. But you can understand that on one hand the prosperity gospel is very all physical. Jesus is about all physical. On the other end, you know, we have extremes of all, all spiritual only. But we see in the scriptures that Jesus cares about all our needs. He cares to look after us. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Give us today our daily bread. In other words, sustain us. Help us in every way. 
Beloved, I just want to encourage you that do not for one second think that all Jesus cares about is getting you to heaven. That somehow he does not care about things you are facing every day. Actually, Jesus listens to your needs, your, 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 your body needs, your emotional needs, your relational needs. And he's a God who wants to care for the whole person. And that's why he's feeding them bread, because he cares about their hunger to eat. Their need for eating. So I don't know what issue you are facing in life at the moment. But you've got to ask yourself this question. Has Jesus changed? Is he less powerful today? Is Jesus less loving and less concerned about you? And the answer is no. Jesus hasn't changed. He cares, yes, for your spiritual needs. We'll come to those in a moment. But he also cares for your other needs. So whatever need that you have, go to him. Physical, emotional, relational. Bring them all to Jesus. Whatever that need is. It is okay to pray for Jesus to give you a job. Because you want to work and be productive. It is okay to pray for Jesus for those that are seeking partners in life to be married. That is something that Jesus wants you to bring before him. And you can come before him, ask him to, to, to meet that need. Because Jesus has power to satisfy your deepest needs. And you should ask him and seek his face about those things. And here is even better news for, for us in this passage. Uh, the first point there we see is that we all want to be satisfied. The second point is that Jesus has power to satisfy us. And the wonderful news, the concluding point, point number three, is that Jesus is God offering lasting satisfaction. Jesus is God offering lasting satisfaction. In fact, as we go through Mark, we have been careful, this is important, not to fall in the error that many people make when they read the miracles in the Bible, right? I was watching the BBC Treasure Chance with my daughter uh, sometimes last year. It's, it's a wonderful program. Uh, it's, it's the first program, I'm told, the BBC, about it because they want to, you know, dramatize stories from the Bible and the other, as they put it, uh, faith traditions. And so you can skip the other ones, just wait for the biblical one, right? <laughs> and so I was watching, and it lo and behold, they, they, the first one I watched was about feeding the 5,000. Very good drama, fantastic stuff, and I was watching my daughter. And it's very interesting, very interesting to see what conclusion they were going to draw about what the miracle is about. And of course, the conclusion they drew uh, is that Jesus did this miracle to encourage us to show empathy, right? Uh, share what you have, even the little that you have, and it will go around a long way. And so that was the meaning for them of what this, uh, this, uh, this miracle means. Now, of course, miracles, all miracles have moral lessons, and, and we shouldn't dismiss those. And I think there's an element to, to, to Jesus living as an example for the disciples. Uh, but we have to ask ourselves, what, we have to remember two things as we are looking at the miracles of Jesus throughout Mark. They are really only answering two questions. The question they are seeking to answer is, who is Jesus? And secondly, what has Jesus come to do? 
And in this, when we look at this miracle, we have to ask that question. What does it tell us about who Jesus is? And the answer to that, the first answer to that is that it tells us that Jesus is the God of Israel. Simple. Jesus is the God of Israel. When you read this, as, you, as we're going through Mark, you've got to get that, right? So when you look at that, that should be so obvious to you, okay? After this, right? You should be asking, how does this point us back to the Old Testament, for example? How does it point us forward? And we can already see Jesus is the God of, the Old, um, of Israel here. How? Well, it's obvious. Look at verse 34 to verse 35. Don't, don't miss these interesting details. 34 to verse 5 says this. Uh, it says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. That's verse 34. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Verse 35 says, And when he grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. That should really read, This is a remote place. This is a desert-like place. And the hour is late. Look at verse 39. Then he commanded them all to sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And then verse 42 tells us, And they all ate and were satisfied. So when you picture this, when you, when you read this entire narrative, what, to summarize it, what you see here, you see a group of people wandering about in a desert-like place, don't we? And we see that they are now being led, if you like, by a man who feeds them miraculous food. And we see that these people are full. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It sounds familiar, right? It's like, ah, ah, moment, right? It sounds familiar because we, we learned it in Sunday school. It reminds us of God feeding the children of Israel manna in the wilderness. So this miracle reminds us that the God who fed his people in the desert has now come to provide the food in person. Jesus is the God of Israel satisfying his people in person. And what do you remember about the manna that the children of Israel ate? It lasted for the whole journey, didn't it? In fact, they were not even supposed to keep extras because they were being provided for every time. And again, when we read this passage, I hope you've noticed something. You've noticed what verse 43 says. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. The original word, this you won't know, in the, here is very different from the word we're going to meet for baskets when he does the 4,000. For here, the original word, in all the four Gospels, it means a small, lunch-sized basket. They didn't pick up large dishes. They picked up packed lunches. So, the leftovers are not huge. That's a very important point. Because this miracle is not about abundance. This miracle is, is, that, is trying to communicate that Jesus provides food for the journey. You've had, and here is a little extra to satisfy you on the way. But I'm with you, so you don't need the big bundle. Right? It's communicating that Jesus gives lasting satisfaction by giving us himself. 
Just like the children of Israel needed manna every day, they just needed a small portion. Jesus here just does that. Lunch for them. To keep them going. Jesus, if you like, is the true manna that has come down to us from heaven. And in fact, the day or so after this miracle, Jesus says this to the crowd. If you look at John chapter 6, um, our last reference. It's so important you, you read about this when you go home, perhaps. John chapter 6, uh, verse 32 to verse 35 says this. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I said to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. <laughs> Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. They'll find lasting satisfaction. Let's jump to verse 47 of chapter 6. Verse 47 of John chapter 6 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Look, the flesh and the blood, the blood represents Jesus' shedding of his blood on the cross, which we celebrate through the Lord's Supper. Jesus is saying the manna pointed to his body on the cross. In the same way, this food we've looked at in Mark points us to the lasting satisfaction we find in Jesus. It is also pointing us to his death on the cross. Manna, bread, manna pointing us to his death, his body and his blood. In other words, we find lasting satisfaction by feeding on Jesus' death, not in the way the Catholics think about it, rather by believing in his death for us and receiving new spiritual life in Jesus through his sacrifice on the cross. The good news of this passage is that if you are in Jesus, regardless of your situation, you have already fed on Jesus, your bread of life. You have lasting satisfaction. And it is for the whole journey. Jesus gives you satisfaction for the whole journey. Regarding, regardless of the situation you are in. Now, now this again, we have to, as we come to an end, emphasize this does not mean the end of our problems. But it does mean in this life, it will be the case when we enter the new heavens and new earth. But what it means for us now is that no matter what situation you are facing, you have God's encouragement in the middle of any situation. Yes, the situation you are in is tough, but Jesus is nourishing, satisfying you in that situation. 
You are more alive every day than ever. Because he's feeding you with himself. Maybe you are a parent this evening who is desperately juggling, juggling the responsibility of a spouse. Maybe you are a husband or a, a wife or maybe just a single parent. So you are, you are grappling with just those responsibilities. And maybe you might even have parents that you are caring for on top of that. You are also holding down a job. You are also seeking to serve in the church. Doing all these things, juggling all these balls, I mean, can... It's hard. It makes us panic. We may feel discouraged and even bitter, quietly. But if you are in Jesus, God has provided himself to satisfy you. You need to remember that. You need to remember that your spirit is working to provide for your difficult role. Your situation, beloved, whatever situation you are in, you're going to get this point. If you remember anything we've taught today, it is this. The situation you are in is not a burden. It is an opportunity. It is an opportunity for you to allow God to shine his nourishing power through you. It's that simple. So the question is not how tough my assignment is. The question is, am I allowing God to shine through it? Am I resting in him? And so bring that before him. Or maybe you are currently in a deeply unsatisfying job, say. Uh, you often feel tired or discouraged. But if you know that and trust that Jesus is with you to satisfy you, whatever that role is, a job or perhaps some institution in the home, you don't need to look to your job as a, as a, as a, for your sense of fulfillment. Yeah? Your job may give you a sense of dignity, but it doesn't define you. Your identity, as we looked at in the past week, is that God has chosen you from the mass of humanity to live in you, and that he's now satisfying you himself by his power. You know it is amazing even to be tolerated by God. You know that. Well, you also know it is beyond comprehension that God should choose to live in mortals. But he does. He lives in you. And if you understand this truth, then you need to understand your goal in life now is, is to live fully aware of the privilege, the honor and privilege of, of, of having him in every situation. It is a blessing, it is an honor, and it's a privilege. In a dead-end job, and in a great job, it, never, it doesn't matter. Jesus is at work there. And now, that might mean staying in your job, and constantly looking to God to satisfy you in it, even though it's deeply unsatisfying. Or, it might also mean that actually, you can't walk away from your job, because your identity is not in that job. You can do anything you ever wanted, right? My point is, what matters is that God is there with you. And so regardless of where you are, you must know that your satisfaction is found ultimately in Him. Having God satisfying us brings tremendous freedom. Well, for me, it allows me to fail in many ways, knowing that it is God taking care of me. Because Jesus is with us. So I just want to encourage you as we come to an end that if you're a true follower of Jesus this evening, let Jesus satisfy you. Allow him to do that. Your Savior is loving. He knows your heart. He knows you belong to him. 
He delights to use his limitless power for his glory and for your good. And bring the needs, all the needs, not just the spiritual needs, to him. He wants you to hand them over to him so that he can truly satisfy. He's already satisfying you. So why keep other things to yourself? Bring them to him. Amen.